So if you uh, paid attention this week, you might have heard about a little uh, a little business deal that went down. Michael Jordan is selling his majority stake in the Charlotte Hornets. Now he bought this uh, his stake for about two hundred and seventy-five million dollars several years ago. He is reportedly going to be paid. $3 billion for his 65% share. I've lived on less. Yeah. <laughs> I know for some of you that's chunk change, but I've lived on less. Now, what sort of amazes, you know, amazes me, it kind of makes me sad, is that an NBA team could actually be worth that much for any sports team, especially the Charlotte Hornets. Um, have they won a game recently? Anyway, um, but I'm not even going to go down the road of what that says about our culture or about what we value and that sort of thing. Um, and, and on the other hand, because I too have a business and that sort of thing, viva the capitalism. So, yeah, wow, wild, strange. But I think really our, our culture's views sometimes on money are kind of summed up by the number six track on the fourth best-selling album in history, which stayed on the Billboard Top 100 charts for a whopping 981 weeks in a row. Try that, Taylor Swift. <laughs> Anybody know what album I'm talking about? Michael Jackson. No, Thriller's number one. Okay. Not the Beatles. Do you know album-wise, the Beatles aren't even in the top four? The Beatles. No? No, I know. You'll know in a second as soon as Barry shows you the cover. Go over there. Ready? Hit it. Pink Floyd, Dark Side of the Moon. The number six track on this album is a song that you've probably heard simply called Money. And here are some of my favorite lyrics from that song Money, get away. You get a good job with more pay and you're okay. Money, it's a gas. Grab that cash with both hands and make a stash. Money, it's a crime. Share it fairly, but don't take a slice of my pie. Money, so they say, is the root of all evil today. In order to not have you fleeing from the room, I didn't try to sing. <laughs> The song has a very strange rhythm, as do many Pink Floyd songs. And that takes us to our second installment this morning of Does the Bible Really Say? Last week we showed that not only doesn't the Bible say that God will never give you more than you can handle, but in fact we kind of looked at what the Bible says about suffering and that sort of thing. It really kind of says the opposite of that. And that suffering is actually designed to increase our faith and to make us more like Jesus, among other things. But this morning, we're going to look at that last lyric of the Pink Floyd song, Money, so they say, is the root of all evil today. Is that really what the Bible says about money? Before we answer that, I want to quickly kind of give us how Christians have historically had a very complicated understanding of also called Christians and money are weird. Now the early church fathers, 
much like Jesus, as we're going to see here, they, they had a lot to say about money. I read in preparation for this sermon uh, from many of the church fathers, Clement, Irenaeus, John Chrysostom, a few others. And for all of them, most of their message is pretty much the same thing. Their message pretty much amounted to this. The rich are hoarding wealth and must give up their wealth to the poor. They lived in a society with massive wealth inequality. And the Roman Empire um, had really massive differences between the rich and the poor. We, we think our wealth inequality is big, but there really was no, no much of a Roman middle class, for example. Um, combine that with the fact that in the Roman Empire, in those cultures, there weren't really safety nets to help the poor. Okay, there's there's nothing to help you. There's you just die. Um, it made the inequality very visible in the church. And their approach, of course, was a product of their culture and not necessarily all that well balanced. And then a shift began when Augustine began to encourage giving to the now much more organized and rapidly gaining in power church. Remember that at the time, at the time of Augustine, okay, that Roman Catholicism was basically, that is what, the, what we call Roman Catholicism now, is, is basically all the church was for the most part in the West at that time. Um, and instead of a focus on the poor, the time of Augustine started to see a shift to a focus in giving to the church itself. And we know, if we study history, the consequence over the centuries of this was the church became a hoarder of wealth. And eventually the church found all sorts of ways to give people's money. And of course, that becomes a major focus of Martin Luther in the Reformation. There he is, pounding the 95 theses on the church <coughs> door in Wittenberg. And churches taking money in exchange for claiming to shorten the time of souls in purgatory, among other things, that was the practice you probably heard of called indulgences. Uh, made for some very, very rich churches. And this combined with the church's increasing social and government power uh, created a complicated connection to wealth and gaining the favor of the rich. Because certainly by the time, the time leading up to the Reformation, the church had become so incredibly powerful in the West and so entwined with the rich and with patrons and with political power. Remember, there was a time that the Pope drew a line on a map and said, this half goes to Spain and this half goes to Portugal. Right? That's how powerful and how rich the church had become by that time. This wasn't everything going on in the church. In contrast to that, there were, from probably the third century on, there were monastic movements that went in the other direction. See, relationships complicated. They had vows of poverty, and they taught that owning nearly nothing was the preferred spiritual state, that if you wanted to be really, really spiritual, you should own nothing. For example, some of the Desert Fathers in the 4th and 5th centuries, they lived in caves or hovels out in the wilderness, and they owned one piece of clothing. 
clearly that's more reasonable. Now for the same year, for a family of four in 2021, earning under $26,500 a year is considered impoverished. You're under the poverty line at that point. <clears throat> but we all know that's relative. <clears throat> because even if you're a 5%er, that $335,000 does not go nearly as far in New York City, where a one-bedroom apartment might be $4 million, as it does here in Central Iowa. If you make $335,000 in Harvard City Falls, cook it. You make that in New York. <laughs> Enjoy your ride on the subway. Then when we think about that on a worldwide scale, it becomes a lot more complex, right? I mean, what would a person in India making the equivalent of an impoverished person in America make? Remember, 26500 You would be incredibly wealthy in India at $26,500. Because the average income in India in dollars is $2,150 a year. $2,150 a month, a year. That in a month would barely pay my mortgage, utilities, insurance, and that sort of thing. But that's a yearly income for an average person in India. Here you can make 10, in the United States, you can make 10 times that and you're still considered under the poverty line. Which I would agree with, $26,500, not a lot of money. Now in this day and age, that's tough. Especially if you've got a family of four. Scripture, and I'm willing to be corrected if you know someplace, 
where wealth is defined as this is wealthy versus this is not. It's more assumed that we'll know what it is when we see it or we have it, because cultures are going to define wealth differently. It's going to be a relative thing. Now, poverty is a lot easier to understand, right? Because it's often defined as not having enough food or adequate clothing or livable shelter. When some person or family can't meet their basic human needs in any culture, they are certainly considered impoverished. But what it means to be wealthy isn't always so obvious. But what is pretty obvious in the Bible is that money and wealth can be huge spiritual issues. Now we're going to begin in the passage that is often misquoted or misunderstood when we talk about how money is a huge spiritual issue. Now I have my guess, when you heard the topic of this sermon and you thought about it, that if you've been part of a church for very long, you know that the Bible does not say that money is the root of all. But it's interesting, outside the church, and certainly if you happen to be writing a 1970s conceptual rock album, um, that's a very common misunderstanding. Sorry, Roger Waters. We all know Roger Waters. That passage, of course, comes from Paul's first letter to Timothy. 1 Timothy 6, verses 8 through 10. But if we have food and clothing, with these we will be content. But those who desire to be rich fall into temptation, into a snare, into many senseless and harmful desires that plunge people into ruin and destruction. For the love of money is a root of all kinds of evils. It is through this craving that some have wandered away from the faith and pierced themselves with many pangs. So there's a couple things that are pretty obvious here from Paul, right? First of all, while it is certainly not the root of all evil, loving money is at the root of some evil, or all sorts of evil. The love of money is a root, it's one possible cause of a variety of evils. But I think the more important part of this passage isn't the part that we kind of gravitate to, which is that. It is that, that love of money, that lusting after riches, has the potential for massive spiritual ruin. Some have wandered away from the faith and pierced themselves with many pangs. That loving money is a serious problem that can lead to serious consequences. We see this theme in movies and books all the time, right? If you ever see the movie Wall Street, uh, the entire theme of the movie is Gordon's Gecko's mantra, which is greed is good, is actually the opposite of what happens in real life. That's kind of the point of the movie. If you've ever seen the movie, it's an older movie, so if you haven't seen it for a long time, I understand you may not remember it. Um, I'll give you a quick rundown. Uh, Gordon Gecko, played by Michael Douglas, is um, this Wall Street dude, and he's got this kind of young protege there, played by uh, Charlie Sheen, and um, they get into all sorts of insider trading and illegal deals and all this stuff. 
And when one of them goes down, he ends up taking the other one down. That's basically it. And the point of the movie, and Gordon, there's a big scene, the most famous scene about the movie, is Gordon Gecko talking to these people and the money, and he gives this lecture, and he talks about greed is good. Except it's greed that takes him down. And it's greed that takes them all down, and they all end up in jail because of their greed. Because the love of money is a huge problem. And it will take you down. And prison is one thing. I certainly don't want to go there. Um, and for sure, stealing and illegal deals and illicit gain are, are bad. But Jesus will tell us that that love of money literally, literally has eternal consequences. And there's a young man where the consequences, where the consequences of his greed are much more dire. Matthew 19, starting in verse 16. And behold, a man came up to him, saying, Teacher, what good deed must I do to have eternal life? And he said to him, Why do you ask me about what is good? There is only one who is good. If you would enter life, keep the commandments. And he said to him, Which ones? And Jesus said, You shall not murder, you shall not commit adultery, you shall not steal, you shall not bear a false witness. Honor your father and mother, and you shall love your neighbor as yourself. And the young man said to him, all these I've kept. What do I still lack? Notice he knew he still lacked something. That's important. And Jesus said to him, if you would be perfect, you'd be mature, if you'd be really where you need to be, <coughs> go sell what you possess and give it to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven, and come follow me. And when the young man heard this, he went away sorrowful, for he had great possessions. Now this, this is an extreme story to me. This young man comes asking about eternal life. Well, that's a good question, you think. But right from the get-go, he's asking the wrong question, because he's asking, thinking it can be earned. What good deed must I do to get eternal life? And so Jesus, Jesus kind of knows where this guy's coming from. So he throws out a bunch of commandments, and the young guy's like, sweet, I did all those. But the young man knows he's lacking something. So what do I lack? See, this is all set up by Jesus. Jesus knows the guy's heart, and he knows the man is looking. He, the guy's still thinking in terms of what he can earn. So what does Jesus tell him? He says, listen. Get rid of all your stuff, give the money to the poor, and then follow me. And the guy says, oh, well, that's what I lack for sure. Sweet. I'm going to do that. That's where it goes, isn't it? The young man declines. He says he went away sorrowful. Now, why is he going away sorrowful? You ever think about this? Because he knows Jesus is right. Jesus says, you, the money, has, your stuff has a hold on your heart. You need to give it up and you need to come follow me. You need to follow me. The only way you're actually going to follow me, the only way you're going to be able to call me Lord and Master, is to not be controlled by all your stuff. 
story is not that someone can earn salvation, you just keep enough laws, or that we all should sell everything and give it to the poor. It's not that either. Because then you know what? Then you'd be poor too. And then somebody would have to sell their stuff and give it to you. Okay? I mean, the number of times that I've heard someone, generally who's not a follower of Jesus, say something like this. Well, Christians are, aren't they supposed to sell all they have and give it to the poor? And you don't do that, so you're not a real Christian. And I'm thinking, dude, if I sold all I had and gave it to the poor, then I'd be poor. That's not how it That's not what Jesus is saying. That misses the point of the story. The point of the story is that all of us have a treasure. We're going to love something. Something's going to be number one in our lives. And the young man who was so sure of his following the commandments, he seemed to miss the one, which Jesus didn't quote the one, about loving the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength. He did not love God. He didn't mind keeping rules, but he didn't love God. He loved his stuff. He loved his stuff more than he was able to love God. He looked at his relationship with God as just another transactional thing. It was like another business deal. What good deed must I do? How do I earn it? And he misses out, like so many people, on eternal life. Because the things of this world are more important to him than the things of God. And God will not be second best. He will only be first, or he's not interested. What else does Jesus say on the place of money? We're going to spend the rest of our time in one of Jesus' best teachings on the place of money, I think anyway, in his Sermon on the Mount. We even sang a song from this passage this morning, right? Now, this is in no way going to be a comprehensive teaching on everything about money and wealth, because that is one of the most frequently talked about subjects in Scripture. But there's some really important principles here in Matthew chapter 6. And the first thing that Jesus is going to teach us is that what we treasure controls us. Matthew 6, starting in verse 19. Do not lay up for yourselves treasures in, on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal, but lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys, and where thieves do not break in and steal, and here's the kicker, for where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Now the heart, of course, in the Bible is kind of the center of our will and our thinking and emotions. It's what makes us us. And whatever we treasure is what is going to occupy our hearts. Our will and our emotion and our thinking and everything is, is going to be on what we treasure. And the thing you've got to remind ourselves of is that every material thing that occupies our heart here on earth is going to one day burn. It's all going to go. So Jesus warns us that we should be laying up treasure in heaven. In other words, we have to have a value system, a treasure system, so to speak, to keep our hearts focused on kingdom things. Because it's what we treasure that will control what our hearts are focused on. And so if we have a tre heavenly treasure focus, so to speak, 
We're not going to be controlled by a focus on the things of the world, but on the things of Jesus. Which, of course, things of Jesus are basically serving and loving people and using our wealth to help advance God's kingdom until he comes. So whatever you treasure is, what going to, is what's going to control you. Because that's where you're going to spend your thinking and your emotions and your energy and your time. So be careful what you treasure. Second thing he tells us, you can't serve two masters. So you've got to pick God or stuff. Verse 24. <clears throat> no one can serve two masters. For either you'll hate the one and love the other, or you'll be devoted to the one and despise the other. You can't serve God and money. Now this is a corollary to what we treasure control us. At some point, we've got to decide what our master is. God? The things of the world. Because you can only, you can only be controlled by or you can only serve one thing. There's no, there's no kingdom multitasking. Okay? God is in charge, or he's not. In which case, we're controlled by something else. And you know what? Here's the thing. He lets us choose. God is not here forcing himself on you. You get to choose. You can decide whether you're going to follow God or not. that choice, just like with the rich young man in Jesus' story earlier, can have eternal consequences. So I'd be real careful what you choose. But that is not to say there are not also huge benefits to focusing on kingdom treasure, on orienting ourselves to letting God lead us in this area of money, because our treasure and our master who we serve is really going to have a lot to do about determining our anxiety about stuff. What, what do I mean by that? Well, let's look what Jesus said. Therefore I tell you, do not be anxious about your life. Now before I go on, I want to point out something. When Jesus says that, some of you get real anxious about things sometimes. Jesus is telling you, you have a choice. Okay, I can choose whether I'm anxious or not. Good. Jesus is saying, you have a choice. Not be anxious about your life, what you'll eat or what you'll drink, or about your body, what you will put on. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothing? Look at the birds of the air. They neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns, yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not of more value than they? And which of you, by being anxious, can add a single hour to his span of life? And why are you anxious about clothing? Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin. Yet I tell you, even Solomon in all his glory was not arrayed like one of these. But if God so clothes the grass of the field, which today is alive and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, will he not much more clothe you, O oh, you of little faith? Therefore do not be anxious, saying, What shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or what shall we wear? For the Gentiles seek after all these things, and your heavenly Father So here in this context of do I serve God and my money and what is my focus? Is it eternal kingdom things or is it all sorts of this other stuff? tells us that all of this is ultimately under God's control. And our anxieties about material things tell us something about where our heart is. They say something about our treasure. If we treasure stuff, 
then the outcome it creates will be anxieties that we need, we do not need or want. Think of it this way, okay? Very modern example. Why do we have insurance on stuff? Because we want to protect ourselves from loss if something happens to our stuff, right? Or if we accidentally, our stuff damages someone else's stuff, like car insurance. I believe you, we're thankful for car insurance. <laughs> we'll leave it at that. Now, listen, do not go out of here. Pastor Orville thinks insurance is bad. Pastor Orville thinks people who have insurance don't have any faith or something like that. No. Insurance is useful and it is good in many, many ways. Okay? So, so please don't leave saying I'm against insurance. I, I promise you my insurance bill tells me otherwise. Okay? But insurance betrays something about us and our fear of loss or our fear of not having the more and the nicer the stuff, the more the potential for loss. Therefore, the more anxiety about the loss, therefore, the more I need more insurance to protect me from that loss. And pretty soon, we end up having a separate insurance policy on all our guitars because a normal homeowner's policy will not cover the value of all of our instruments. I heard there's somebody like that. I don't know. <laughs> See, if we're anxious about stuff all the time, it tells us something about who we trust and who we are serving. So in order to get all the stuff in the right place and the anxiety under control and serve God rightly as Lord and Master, we need to put Jesus' concluding principle into practice, which we sang just a bit ago, which is that God's kingdom is first. Verse 33. But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added unto you. All the other stuff will take care of itself. Now the word seek means to actively pursue, to go after, to make it a priority. In fact, the priority. You know, it's sort of like a couple weeks ago, the dog broke a leash. I did not realize the leash had worn. My, my dog, some of you have met the dog. I use a steel cable as a leash for my dog. A braided steel cable. Thin, braided steel cable. I did not realize that it had braided against the concrete and broke through a few of the wires and the braiding. And she snapped that thing like a toothpick and took off. And Taylor went one way and I went the other way trying to figure out where she went. And she actually... The neighbor grabbed her, she like saw the neighbor and ran to check him out, and he grabbed her real quick. Anyway, okay, but that's what seek is all about, okay? We're seeking after the dog. You know, we were priority to get the dog, you know, before she ended up in Benton County or something. I mean, what, what are we really seeking? I, I was working on this sermon, and honestly, I, I was working on this sermon, I was sitting there in my office yesterday, we finished up the sermon, and, and, I, I kind of I kind of felt shameful. Seriously, I have so much stuff. I realized I'm gonna tell you. Let me tell you. Let me tell you about stuff. Okay. This isn't in the notes. This is just for your own my own personal humiliation. Walking to the coffee shop this morning, 
I want a cup of coffee. Cup of Joe. That, that is the only coffee shop. There's no other. <laughs> okay. Any of you ever seen the movie Highlander? There can be only one. It's a cup of Joe. Okay. And there's this guy sitting there. I haven't seen him for a while. He's a software engineer. Doesn't live in Cedar Falls anymore. He was there. And I was talking to him. And he was looking at watches. Like nice looking watches. There were nice looking watches, but ones that were cheap, right? Because he he just switched jobs a few months ago and he's like, I just want a nice looking watch. Like, I don't want to spend, you know, fifty bucks or whatever. So he's looking at watches on Amazon. Okay. He's like he's laughing because he saw one somewhere that was like seventeen thousand dollars. Yeah. That's more than I think I would spend for a watch. I mean if I want the power of I don't think I could spend seventeen thousand dollars on a watch. Also don't have any car tickets, so I guess I don't have to worry about that. Anyway, and I looked at him, and then I got thinking about, this is no lie, I got thinking about this sermon, and I said it, I said, bro, I really did say, bro, I'm just kidding. I said, bro, I got a whole box of watches at home. Next time you're in town, I'll just meet you down here, I'll bring it in, and you can just pick whichever one you want. I'm not lying. I have a whole box full of watches. I only wear an Apple Watch. Only watch I ever wear is right here. This is it. For years, all I've worn is an Apple Watch. I have a whole box full of Michael Kors and Hugo Boss and all these watches, right? Haven't picked up a one in years. I got gold ones, and I got silver looking ones. I got purple ones. It's really cool. Taylor got some purple. The regular shirt. Alright, <laughs> Richie wants a new watch. Anyway, and I'm sitting there thinking about this stuff, and I'm like, look at this whole box of watches. This is stupid. I'm stupid. So much stuff. And then I realized that many times I am not seeking first the kingdom of God. I'm just working on Orville's kingdom. Because like anyone else, there's stuff I like. Fountain pens, guitars, cool firearms, whatever it happens to be. I like all that stuff. Not out of need. Right? I mean, because let's face it, the majority for almost any of us of our purchases outside of meat and eggs and strawberries are not needs. But they're because I like something or a good opportunity comes up or whatever it is. And then I think, you know, sometimes when I have actually sought first the kingdom and some amazing things have happened. Uh, we had dinner Tuesday night with the young man that I told you about a few weeks ago that I had mentored from Pennsylvania who, who when we first met him, was you remember the story, needless to say, a bit rough around the edge. We had dinner with him on Tuesday night. He was in town. He, he's like an auditor for companies. And, and anyway, and um, it's amazing talking to him and, and what a man of God he is now. And you know, I just thank Jesus I got to be a little part of that. That's a lot more important than fountain pens and guitars and watches and guns and whatever else I like. Right? I mean, you can search your own stuff. You, you like different stuff. Books. I mean, I never met a book in his life. 
And so I tell you all that to say, you know what, we're not always going to get this perfect. I wish we would, but we're not. So if we're going to want to put God first, and we're really going to want to seek his kingdom, it's going to be a lifelong struggle. Jesus knows that. That's why there's grace. There's mercy. But man, it seems way better to struggle for eternal treasure than just a whole bunch of worldly things that we're not going to take with us anyway. That's just a joke. This guy dies and goes to heaven. And he gets, he meets St. Peter at the pearly gates. And look, let's just think about all the theological problems right there with this idea of St. Peter at the pearly gates. But anyway, <laughs> I digress. And when the guy gets to heaven and he meets St. Peter at the pearly gates, he's got a suitcase. And St. Peter kind of looks at him and he's like, what you got in the suitcase? The guy's all excited. And he opens up the suitcase and it's full of gold bullion. Just like at Fort Knox, right? Peter looks <laughs> and he laughs. And he says, what'd you bring a bunch of paving bricks for? The other theological problem with that joke is the streets of gold aren't heaven anyway. <laughs> <laughs> All these jokes are you. So here we will finish with a few questions to meditate on this Father's Day to help us move more towards seeking first the kingdom of God. In other words, how do I know if the things of this world are more important to me than the things of God? Here's some just things to think about. Is there any material thing you would not give up if God asked you to. Now you know Delvin and I love our guitars. What you might not know is how many guitars over the years we've given away to people who needed a guitar. Is the acquiring of money more important or taking the place of serving God? Now that doesn't mean that you somehow are expected to serve God 24-7 in every last little thing you do and not have a job. God knows you've got to earn some money. In fact, next week I'm going to point out that a scriptural principle is that if you don't work, you don't get to eat. In most cases. But if, is it more important than serving God? These questions are all in your notes, by the way. Have you or are you willing to do things that Jesus would not approve of to acquire money? Have you or would you refuse to do something God has called you to because of money? Think about that one. Does how you spend your money reflect God's heart? Again, not every cent of it because you know what? God knows you need meat, eggs, and strawberries. How you spend reflect God's heart. Let's pray. Father, your word has so much to say to us about this subject of money. Number one thing is that we're really meant to seek your kingdom and to orient our lives toward following our Lord Jesus and serving him as our master. 
So I pray that we would all be willing this Father's Day to evaluate our lives and maybe move a little more toward kingdom principles, toward seeking your kingdom and your righteousness, knowing that all the anxieties of stuff and everything else will fall into place when Jesus is in his rightful place. And it's in his name we pray. Amen. Well, I will invite the man to come up and you to stand.
And now do not be anxious, but seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. God bless. Go in peace.
Yeah. Yeah, she thought they were really pretty. I'm 
vibrating to is you can put it in the topic and it searches plays up every place that topic occurs every book. So you suddenly can you know just you don't have to read book to find out but they can yeah, very handy. She told me a wonderful way to Thanks to you also. Did you get a good pen? Yeah. Pen level ruler. Pen level rulers. Pen level rulers out. Pen level rulers out. Figured that out. That's your problem? Yeah. 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 Ye